Jerusalem channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here is an overused expression. It's a miracle. But actually, what is a miracle? According to the dictionary, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Positive miracle stories abound among believers. Healings, unexplainable phenomena, and our Bible, of course, is filled with miracles, such as the parting of the Red Sea, healings, and the resurrection from the dead. But there's another category of miraculous signs that's rarely talked about, and it's called miracles of judgment. In the Bible, these miracles of chastening and reprimand may seem terrible, but God is also magnified through judgments as well as positive events. So stay with me as we look into this provocative topic of the miracles of judgment. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. People are fascinated with miracles, and Jesus certainly was a miracle worker, unlike anyone who's ever lived. The Bible is full of miracles to inspire our faith. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, the working of miracles is one of the gifts distributed by the Holy Spirit at will within the body of Messiah. But there are also wonder-working miracles in which God intervened to execute judgments. First, I'm going to briefly mention the most notable miracles of judgment in the Bible and then explain Jesus' own miracle of judgment against a fig tree. The prophetic action and words of the Lord concerning the fig tree are very relevant to what's going on right now in the Middle East. Most of all, in his end-time briefing to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, Jesus instructed his disciples to learn the lesson of the fig tree. Stay with me and you'll learn it too. But first, let's look at a quick catalog of the major miracles of judgment, of God intervening supernaturally to rebuke and even to destroy mankind at times, starting with Genesis 19. The Lord rained down fire and brimstone on the wicked twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. First angels evacuated the relatives of Abraham's nephew Lot. But Lot's wife left reluctantly. She was still tied to the things of this world. She hesitated and looked back and instantly became a pillar of salt. And today there is a landscape at the Dead Sea that's called Lot's wife a monument to the miracle of judgment. Now, in the book of Exodus, through the ten plagues upon Egypt, God manifested awesome miracles of judgment. And in Leviticus chapter 10, two sons of the high priest Aaron offered strange, unauthorized fire on God's altar. And because of their presumption, they were instantly killed. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them to warn future generations. Numbers 12 warns us against pride, haughtiness, and 
touching the anointed messengers of God. Moses' sister Miriam spoke against him, and God heard it. He called the three siblings, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, to the tent of meeting, where God rebuked Miriam's tongue. And when the Shekinah cloud of his glory withdrew, behold, Miriam was covered with leprosy. She was banished outside the camp until Moses prayed for her to be healed. After that miracle of judgment, no doubt Miriam learned her lesson. But then there's the very somber incident of Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Korah also opposed the leadership of Moses, and suddenly the earth opened its mouth like a gigantic sinkhole and swallowed up Korah and all the men who belonged to his rebellion. They went down alive to Sheol as the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. That must have been a fearsome judgment to watch. In 1 Kings 13, a man of God prophesied against the altar in Bethel. King Jeroboam stretched out his hand saying, Seize the man of God. But instantly Jeroboam's hand was withered. The altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out. King Jeroboam's hand was restored only after he pleaded with the man of God to intercede for him. In 2 Kings chapter 1, supernatural judgments of God were called down by the prophet Elijah upon two companies of soldiers that King Ahab had sent to arrest Elijah. Fire from heaven fell and consumed them. In 2 Kings 2, unruly children were mocking the prophet Elisha, and he judged them. Forty-two of these mockers were mauled to death by two bears. In 2 Chronicles 26, after King Uzziah became an immensely powerful monarch, pride led to his downfall. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests, confronted King Uzziah and said, It's not lawful for you to burn incense to the Lord. Only the descendants of Aaron have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. But King Uzziah became enraged at the priests, and immediately leprosy broke out on his forehead and he suffered from leprosy until the day he died. Also in 2 Samuel chapter 6, an unauthorized man presumed to steady the ark of God while it was being transported. And for that irreverent act, he was instantly struck by God, and he fell down dead right beside the ark of God. Now over in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, two members of the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, were both struck dead instantly in two separate instances at the rebuke of the apostle Peter. They had lied about their offerings. And can you imagine if that happened in churches today? Only the most serious followers of the Lord would dare to come to church. Also, in Acts chapter 13, a sorcerer, 
who opposed gospel preaching was instantly struck blind at the rebuke of the Apostle Paul. Now, in the Gospels themselves, Jesus' miracles are, of course, full of compassion and mercy as he ministered to individuals and to the masses. But there's one outstanding miracle of judgment by Jesus that's recorded in Matthew 21, and I'm referring to the supernatural blighting of the fig tree. Now, the Mount of Olives is one of my favorite places, and it's not only rich in olive trees, but also fig trees. In fact, a nearby village, Bethphage, means house of figs. And in the Bible, at various times, three types of trees and vines are symbolic of Israel. The fig tree, the grapevine, and also the olive tree. Near the time of the end of his ministry, one morning Jesus was hungry, and he saw on the Mount of Olives from a distance a leafy fig tree that promised fruit. But upon inspection, not a single fig was to be found, not even an unripened fig. Jesus rebuked the tree, and I'm grateful that this strange incident was recorded in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because it lines up with prophetic teaching. In fact, the fig tree is an idiom in the Bible, and we have to pay close attention to the parable of the fig tree, especially as the time of the Lord's coming draws nearer. In the Synoptic Gospels, three times we're instructed by Jesus to learn the parable of the fig tree. But how many believers have learned the lesson of the fig tree? Not too many, unfortunately. I believe that if you conducted a man-on-the-street interview and asked, can you explain the parable of the fig tree? How many people do you suppose could really explain it? Hardly any, that's for sure. But knowing the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus was very aware of the fact that the weeping prophet Jeremiah, many centuries before, had compared Israel to a barren fig tree that bore no fruit. And now, because Israel didn't recognize the time of the Messiah's visitation, Jesus prophesied against the tree. He addressed the tree as if it were his nation, and it became withered from the roots. Yet, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Replacement theologians who say that God is finished with the Jewish people would like to believe that Israel, the fig tree, had their day, and now all of Israel's covenants and promises belong to the church. However, Jesus also prophesied of the resurrection of the fig tree, Israel, in the last days. And that's why we must delve into this mystery of Israel and the fig tree that's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Now, in Matthew 21, the gospel writer condenses the incident that it's also recorded in Mark chapter 11. During Jesus' last days in Jerusalem, as he and his disciples were leaving the Mount of Olives to go teach in the temple, the Lord was suddenly hungry. We don't know why his usual hospitality in the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha hadn't been adequate that day. But Jesus taught in the temple early in the morning, and perhaps he had departed before eating anything. But those hunger pangs served a definite prophetic purpose. 
Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went over to see if it had any fruit, but he found nothing but leaves. The account does make note that it was not the season for figs yet, but various commentaries explain that there was a reasonable expectation to find fruit on that particular fig tree because it was sprouting so many leaves to the extent that it was noticeable even from a distance. Then Jesus spoke these withering words to the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now think of the power and authority of his words. His words had healed the sick, raised the dead, but also had commanded nature. He calmed a storm on Galilee, and also he rebuked this tree, and it withered from the roots. And his disciples heard him. So the next time they passed by that tree, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus makes reference to the fig tree again in his end time briefing only a few chapters later. But at this juncture, he sees the opportunity to teach his disciples an object lesson on faith and the power of our words. Because the disciples were amazed that the fig tree had withered so quickly. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Whatever I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It's interesting that elsewhere in a similar verse in Luke chapter 17, Jesus actually referred to the fig tree or sycamore tree. He said, if you had had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamore tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea and it should obey you. Now, the symbolic miracle of judgment against the fig tree was in fact a prophetic act typical of the actions of Bible prophets. This is because God likes to show the people what he wants to tell them. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 27, the prophet was commanded by God to wear an ox yoke on his neck as a sign to warn the people that they would be judged and put into bondage because of their rebellion. And in the New Testament, the prophet Agabus foretold Paul's imprisonment. He took the apostle's belt and bound Paul's hands and feet and prophesied, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this belt. In like manner, our Lord, by this miracle of a withered fig tree, symbolically blasted the spiritual barrenness of the Jewish nation at that time. He was prophesying the destruction that would woefully befall them and their temple, but not just the Jewish people. Jesus made that tree into a symbol of hypocrites everywhere. And commentaries say that Jesus taught us another lesson by this incident. When mercy has been abused, judgment will follow. You see, the day of grace doesn't last forever. And when the day of grace has expired, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. 
for Israel at that time, their day of grace was tragically expiring. In Jesus' own words, if you had only known the things that belong to your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. So why did God allow this judgment to fall? We all want mercy to go on forever, don't we? But the Bible teaches that there is an expiry date on mercy if we harden our hearts and refuse to listen and repent. Now, it's important to add here that Jesus had already prophesied a very important fig tree parable to explain that mercy will not be extended forever. So now we're going to look at that parable because it explains the whole episode about why the fig tree was judged. Let's look at the parable and we find it in Luke chapter 13. Jesus said that a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, but it never produced any fruit. So he said to the keeper of the vineyard, for three years now, and by the way, three years was the length of the Lord's ministry. He said, for three years now, I've been looking for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it waste space? Sir, the man replied in the parable, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, good. But if not, then cut it down. Now, these two passages of scripture, the parable of the barren fig tree and then Jesus's prophetic action against a barren fig tree, these two passages represent two aspects of God's character. On the one hand, his long-suffering patience, mercy, and kindness, but also his swift vengeance. Now let's consider the Lord's deep disappointment in his nation and their religious leaders. For three years, he'd poured himself out, healing, teaching, and reasoning with the people, but he knew his messiahship was going to be rejected. He knew his first mission was to be the suffering servant to accomplish the work of atonement. But the people were looking for the other sign of the messianic coin. They were hoping for a royal king who would conquer the Romans. The role of the conquering Messiah will only be fulfilled at the Lord's second coming. First, he had to be a man of sorrows to obtain atonement for the people. Now, if you're familiar with the operation of the Holy Spirit, you'll know that under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, often we're surprised when we do and say things that we ordinarily wouldn't do because of inspiration. And Jesus, who was so full of the Holy Spirit, suddenly on the spot recognized that the disappointment of not finding any fruit on that fig tree was a picture of God's disappointment in the barrenness of Israel at that time. Commentaries explain that if the tree had been true to its promise, figs would have been there even if they were green. But not one fig appeared among all the leaves. God expects fruit from us, doesn't he? And figuratively, the tree held out hope, but it disappointed. It professed so much but performed nothing. This was a striking symbol of the Lord's people at that time. 
You see, unto them had been given the covenants, the law, the holy scriptures, the glory, the temple service of God, and all of the promises. But they proved themselves unworthy of all that glory. They made loud professions and long prayers. They were scrupulous in their ritual and garb. In some aspects, they exceeded the letter of the law, tithing mint and spices. But in matters of mercy, they fell woefully short. They were proud of Moses, but they rejected the prophet whom Moses prophesied that they should heed. They claimed to be looking for the Messiah, but when he appeared, they didn't recognize him, even though he performed messianic miracles of healing lepers, the blind, and raising the dead. Let me pause for a moment and ask, today is the church any better? Are we also a leafy tree without fruit? As Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3.5, do we have a form of godliness but deny the power of God? Because God looks for fruit and he claims it as his due. The more fruitful we are, the more the Lord is glorified. Herein is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit. Well, was that the end of Israel? By no means. All of this teaching about the fig tree reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11. In that chapter, Paul compared Israel to an olive tree whose branches were broken off and wild olive shoots representing Gentile believers were grafted into the olive tree of God. Listen to the explanation that Paul gave to the Roman church in Romans chapter 11. He said, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also not spare you. Consider therefore the goodness and the severity of God, severity to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, Paul said, you also will be cut off. Very sobering words indeed. So to wrap up all of this, let's go to the Olivet Discourse of Jesus. That's his end time briefing to his disciples. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. And he told them a parable about trees, but he singled out and made specific mention of the fig tree. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, he said, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Here Jesus speaks of the resurrection of the fig tree, the Jewish nation. He says, when you see the fig tree, Israel, sprouting its leaves, and that happened in 1948, know that the kingdom of God is near. He said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now at verse 34, Jesus warned, so be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. 
Be always on the watch, he said, and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. And now let's examine the parallel passage of the Olivet End Time Seminar that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 24. In this chapter, one of my favorites, Jesus left the temple and was sitting on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately, asking what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age. And Jesus went through a whole catalog of signs, beginning with deception and false messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, and all sorts of birth pains of the closing of the age, including earthquakes, increased wickedness, the abomination of desolation that would happen in the temple of God, signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And now please carefully note that he throws into this end time mix an admonition to learn the lesson from the fig tree. Jesus added, now learn this parable or this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, he said, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Thank the Lord that the fig tree once dried up has sprouted again. That means the coming of the Lord is very near. The withered fig tree, Israel, lives again. As the Israelis sing, Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel live. That means Jesus is at the door to come back to the fig tree. Hebrews, such an important verse, declares the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin this time, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen. Are you waiting and watching for the glorious appearing a second time? Well, in the meantime, what shall we render unto the Lord for all of his gracious benefits and gifts to us by dying on the cross so that everybody and anybody may receive God's offer of salvation, deliverance, and healing? As a hymn from my childhood goes, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. So please don't procrastinate your decision to receive the Messiah and his forgiveness from sins. Because the Bible clearly says today is the day of salvation. We only have today. We're not promised tomorrow. And do you have family and friends who are not ready? Pray for them also by name that the Holy Spirit will convict them to receive the Lord Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. And in the meantime, please stay in touch through social media on our website at exploits.tv where we post weekly videos and where you can sign up to receive our free electronic newsletter exploits the name of our program and newsletter is inspired by daniel 11:32, which says that the people who know god will be strong not weak and will take action accomplishing exploits and at our website our previous videos are available round the clock, as well as an archive of articles on end-time topics, faith, and healing. 
Please also download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your favorite app store so you can watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. Our app offers details of our upcoming prayer events in the Holy Land and a daily Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up-to-date on prophetic end-time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.